What is up, everybody? Welcome to the Find Your Edge podcast. I'm your host, Michael Rayner. I'm a registered dietitian and sports nutritionist with years of experience helping athletes improve their health and optimize their performance. I'm also an athlete myself and have been riding and racing bikes for the last 12 years, and I've worked in the cycling and triathlon industry for the last 10 years. I'm using all of my experience and speaking with athletes and experts about the key actionable steps that you can take to improve your health and performance. So if you're an athlete working to reach and sustain your peak performance and health, then this is the podcast for you. Let's jump right in. What is up, everybody? Welcome back to the Find Your Edge podcast. I'm here today with Josh Cole. Josh, thanks for being here. Oh, thank you. So we're here for part three of the Humans of Steel series to get Josh's take on things. So from, I have it on pretty good authority, Josh, from Alex, that you did all of the route planning for the bike course. Is that, is that the case? I did the route planning for the bike course and the run course. Okay. So that's kind of something big that I wanted to hit on. So we'll kind of jump in there and then kind of circle back to, to your impressions of race day. But, well, I guess actually from there, let me back up even further. What, why, why Humans of Steel? Why did you want to do it? Why did you want to get involved in it? What did you have planned for the year? I know that's a lot of things, but. Uh, my plan for the year started with Ironman Texas. And then I was just kind of in a holding pattern. So I deferred to Maryland, which, you know, was a deferment from April all the way out to September. And I was just like, and with things shutting down in March, like I was hitting the peak of my training right when it got canceled. And I was just trying to hold that all the way through the rest of the year, hoping that something might come up where I could race. And then Maryland got canceled as well. And Chris had mentioned Humans of Steel. And it was just like, yeah, sure, whatever. Yeah. Doesn't seem like anything <laughs> else is going to happen. <laughs> yeah, it, it wasn't... Um, I wasn't super enthused about doing the race, but I, you know, what else was I going to do that year? <laughs> I, I did manage to do one live in-person triathlon. That was a sprint distance race, and it was the following weekend. Oh. <laughs> so, that, so that was a little bit rough. And I, and, you know, I knew going into Humans of Steel that I was still going to be doing that too. Um, not that it really made a lot of difference. Yeah. What, so did you do like the full distance for humans of steel? Yeah. Uh, I was me, Alex and Mary were the three who did the full distance. Gotcha. So I, I guess it sounds like maybe you were less excited to have something and more just like, I don't know what else I'm going to do this year. So I might as well do something. <laughs> yeah. I Chris seemed uh, to need help. I figure if I'm going to be involved in planning the thing, I might as well do it. Yeah. <laughs> Fair enough. So to get into the route planning, what kind of things did you consider there? I mean, obviously you have to consider the distance piece and making it, it sounds like one of the big things for, for humans of steel was kind of having it as loops so that there was options for people to go shorter. Well, the, the, when Chris first talked about it, it was strictly an iron distance race. There wasn't any mention of doing shorter courses. So that actually wasn't the motivation for it. The motivation for it was uh, not having the Sherpas slash aid station crew, you know, schlep all over the place. So it was like, how can we design it so that they can just stay put and have a single aid station that we keep returning to rather than having everyone drive around all over the place. Uh, and I figured like an 18 mile loop was pretty much as far as I was, I'd want to take that. Like, 
Mary had initially put together one course, but that was, I think, a 40-mile loop. Like, you know, that's a bit much because, you know, in a WTC event, you'll very rarely go more than 15 miles between eight stations on the bike course. Uh, so that, that was the motivation for getting the loop course and then finding a loop near the swim with roads in good shape, which was its own other uh, debacle that we could use and then hitting the distance right as we head back up to where T2 was going to be because making it a point-to-point race had its own challenge. Yeah. So how was, how was it planning the route? I mean, is it something that, I mean, it sounds like there were definitely some challenges involved, but it, was it something where you kind of, you're familiar with the road so you could kind of piece some together and then it was like fine tuning it based on road conditions or traffic, or was this like a whole big, big thing? Well, I'm very familiar with most of the roads. Like the first draft um, had a road on it. It had us on old US one. Um, so once I had that, I went out and rode the thing and found out. You know, I always I knew old US one wasn't in great shape, but I don't ride it very often. So I went out and rode this loop, and it was much worse than I remember. I kept losing water bottles off my bike. The road was that bad. Oh no! So it was, it was immediately okay. This has got to go. What else can <laughs> we do? Uh, so that got us onto a loop that involved uh, Toddy Goodwin, which at the time wasn't in terribly great shape and there was a big concern about it because at both ends when we were planning the route there were orange signs saying road construction ahead but like that was the only indication of actual road construction there wasn't anything else there it was like okay so when is it going to (laughs) start so we so we start contacting the department of transportation saying do you have a schedule for when this is going to happen what's going to be done is the road going to get shut down and they were like, we don't know the contractors doing their own thing because it was part of a, a huge contract that had like 18 different segments because we found the actual contract that was um, covering this road segment. And then a, a little over a week before the event, they actually start working on the road. Of course. <laughs> but it actually worked out remarkably well because they were they were resurfacing the whole road and they did the westbound lane first so we had weak old pavement all the way through wow. that we were riding on meanwhile the eastbound side hadn't been done yet so it's still crap and we're looking at that going the other way it's like yeah, glad i'm not riding on that yeah so uh that worked out remarkably well but then the day before the race another construction project started one we had no idea about because that one was actually a uh, utility project. It looks like they're burying sewer lines alongside of Highway 751 and Ludershop Road. And there were several segments that they had single lane traffic with flagmen, and we were supposed to be riding through this. So the day before, we had to reroute that part. That one was easier to deal with because that wasn't on the loop. That was the final segment getting us from the loop to transition two. Um, and we had a couple other options on that. So we were able to reroute that one. Uh, the downside of that change meant that the entrance into T2 was a hard turn, um, whereas before it was a much more graceful entry. But it also, we managed to get the distance even closer to accurate. Like we would have been like half a mile off on the original route, but with the new route, I ended up with 
within a tenth of a mile on wow. my GPS for the bike course distance. Wow. Wow. So it sounds like there was a lot of things being considered. And I think this is like, I mean, clearly quite the challenge to plan this route for, for this informal, like unofficial race. I shouldn't say informal, but unofficial race. But I think it is like a glimpse into everything that gets done and planning an an official route for, you know, a race that goes on. Right. Then it would have been even more complicated because all these last minute changes would have meant repositioning uh, people directing the course and repositioning the police officers and, you know, permitting. But of course, you know, with an actual permit, you probably wouldn't have these last minute changes. Probably. I remember years ago, uh, there was a race out of Jordan Lake called the Duke Liver, Liver Center Half Ironman. And two days before uh, the race was supposed to happen, we get an email saying the bike course has been significantly changed because the they started a road construction project and first step was blow up a bridge that they were going to replace. So suddenly like, the road was completely impassable oh and they gosh. had to reroute it. Oh my gosh. That's like, I feel like as a race promoter or someone planning a race, that's probably like one of your biggest nightmares is just like stuff happening. That's entirely outside of your control that completely changes the way you run the race. So sounds like there was a lot going on. Like I said, um, with it being open roads, like were there special considerations there? Uh, yeah, there was. Uh, so we tried to favor right-hand turns and have as few left-hand turns as possible. So there was one left turn on the course, on the loop. So we had to go through that six times, but it was a pretty low traffic area. So like when I rode it, I think five of the six times I went through it, I was able to roll through the stop sign. Then there was also a traffic light. Uh, four of the six times I was able to go through the traffic light without stopping one time I was just like barely got my foot on the ground before the light turned green. And the other time I had to full stop for about a minute. And then the last segment getting up to T2, there was another traffic light and another left-hand turn. Uh, it was pretty much guaranteed that we were going to have to stop at that traffic light, but the left-hand turn, we had a pretty de- a, a decent shot of being able to roll through it. And I honestly don't even remember if I did or not. So it sounds- and, and it, At that point I was, you know, seven miles from the end of the bike course. And it's just like, all right, just keep going. Yeah. Yeah. So it sounds like the big consideration there was just trying to find like lower traffic areas and then just making it. So you had to stop as few times as possible. Right. Um, how about the run course? What was, I mean, what were the considerations there? Uh, so the run course, um, initially Chris had put together a proposal for it that was just going to be out and back on the tobacco trail. Uh, there were a couple problems with uh, her se- selection because she actually had us starting at a different part on the tobacco trail. So that section doesn't have running water. It's gravel. There's a really steep hill right at the end. And the parking lot to it, they, there's actually a gate that gets closed by the park department. Um, so these were all the red flags. I was like, no, this this run course is pretty bad. Uh then there was another proposal that had a different set of problems with it before we settled on this one, which was going to the only spot on the tobacco trail that has running water and figured that'd be kind of a good area. Um, and there's like a, a pretty big area with picnic tables that people could set up their own 
uh, nutrition. Like once we had the start endpoint, the run course was really easy because it's just going to be out and back. And we actually had three different options for the run course. It was either 10 loops of a short course, four loops of a medium course, or two loops of a long course. No one actually did the long course. I did the short course. Alex did the medium course. Mary did the first half on the medium course and the second half on the short course. Dang. So I ended up with the most climbing of the three of us, but I don't think it really affected the overall results. And I was, I was only a couple of minutes behind Alex at the end, but I'm not sure without the hills, I would have been able to close that. So that's, that's a good segue into race day. So how did race day go for you? Uh, this was my eighth iron distance finish, and I still have not figured out nutrition. But, <laughs> um, I, it went, and other than logistical issues, which Alex probably talked about the swim and what a mess that was. Yeah. Uh, um, like I, I came through the bike pretty well. I had a new bike PR and started the run really well, but around mile four or so I started getting dizzy it was really mild but it, it's something that I recognize so I, I started walking um, and just tried to get as much salt into me as I could and it got better over the course of the run but I ended up walking a lot of it yeah wow so I mean what was it like because when when was you said your initial race was supposed to be in March is that right uh, late April Late April. Uh, yeah. So I, I was, my training was peaking in March when everything shut down and I bought a new bike on March 10th, three days before everything really started yeah. closing down. Yeah. So what was it like trying to kind of hold that training all the way until when this race happened? Uh, frustrating, I guess is the only way to describe it. It was, it was just, you know, you're just sitting there spinning your wheels, you know, like, the normal periodization of a training plan is out the window because you're just like trying to hold that level of effort. Uh, you know, looking back on it, we really should have like just reset the schedule, you know, cut the volume way down for a while. But, and we did reduce my training volume somewhat, but I don't think we did enough just because we were just hoping like, well, maybe I'll be able to get into uh, the White Lake race, or maybe I'll be able to get into something else. So there were a couple like intermediaries between uh, when Texas was supposed to be and when Maryland was supposed to be that were possibilities that just never materialized. Yeah, I think a lot of people kind of ran into that. And you saw it with like the running races as well um, as the triathlons, but like there were that first wave of races that got canceled and everyone like then deferred to like those next races or signed up for that next wave of races and like kept holding training, hoping that those were going to happen. And then just wave after wave races got canceled. And so you didn't really have like, if early on everything for the year got canceled, people would have done what you're talking about. I think where they would have taken a break and then started a new training cycle for the fall or something, but it was just so much unknown. <laughs> It so, still is. I mean, I, what was it? Uh, WTC just canceled another event a week ago. <laughs> yeah. And like it, everything's now, everyone's trying really hard to hold a race. Well, not everyone, 
there's a few races that everyone just like really wants to get held just so that there's a race happening. And even those like at the last minute, some of them are getting canceled. Right. Well, well, we'll see what happens in Daytona this weekend. Yeah. It should be exciting with all the pros there. Yeah. Yeah. We were actually just talking about that. I was talking about with some of my coworkers this morning that, you know, big prize purse, lots of pros. I mean, has the makings to be a really good race if they're, if they're able to hold it. Yeah. That, that race has actually always been on my bucket list ever since I first learned about it because I went to college in Daytona and I, I could see part of the track from my freshman dorm window. So it's just like, okay. And then part of the bike course goes right past my old apartment that I lived in senior year. It's like, I, I have to do this race yeah. at some point. <laughs> yeah. I'm very familiar with the area down there then. So that's cool. Um, so how was humans of steel, like compared to a lot of these other races you've done, you know, I mean, obviously unsupported for the most part. So what's, how's that, you know, not having the aid stations, being entirely self-supported, being on routes that you planned. Well, the being on a route that I planned was kind of a nice bonus. Um, years ago, the when I did my first uh, WTC event, it was out in Coeur d'Alene. And afterwards, I just happened to be talking to one of the locals, and he was talking about how just like, you know, the, the, the sense of familiarity helps your performance because like, you know, the hills, you know exactly where you need to push, you know exactly where you need to back off. But it, it also just kind of detracts from the whole experience, especially with the WTC event, because it's supposed to be, you know, this grand, exciting adventure. And it's just like, oh, look, I'm going by my house. You know, this yeah. is where I train. This, this is nothing new. Um, yeah. So it, it gets pulled in both directions with that. Uh, and I wasn't completely unsupported. My wife was out there. She was, you know, mixing bottles for me and uh, helping me out. That's good. That's probably, you know, unique. You know, if you do an Ironman or anything like that, you don't necessarily get your wife at aid stations for you. <laughs> and my own selection of sports drinks instead of just whatever uh, the course is offering. Yeah. So from the nutrition perspective, I think that brings up an interesting point. So with a typical Ironman or, you know, some other event that's more supported, are you using on-course nutrition or do you take your own stuff and just have it on your bike somewhere and you mix your bottles? Uh, so for Texas, I had put together a rather detailed plan for what I was going to do, like exactly where I was going to be taking stuff on. And most of it would be uh, self-support. So I was going to take like three really concentrated water bottles on the bike and then switch them out for another three at bike special needs and then just get water from the aid stations and maybe some food if I felt like I needed it. Um, but I had like, you know, all of, everything spelled out in terms of exactly how much salt I was going to be taking in, exactly how many calories I was going to be taking in. And... Um, I just kind of threw that plan out the window for humans of steel for two reasons. One being like, because I could, you know, have my own bottles mixed, I didn't have to worry about doing the concentrated bottles in the water from the aid stations. I could just have, you know, like a more normal concentration, but then also um, endurance or first endurance makes a product called uh, EFS electric fuel system. And that's what I've been training on all summer late in the summer, they announced that they were reformulating and they weren't going to sell anything for a couple of months until the new formula was available. 
was like, oh, great. So even though I'm providing my own nutrition, I'm still going in blind with something I've never used before. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and it, it didn't, it worked well until four miles into the run. <laughs> Do you think that's kind of like some of what caused that is just the reformulation not being something you had trained with and kind of totally accounted for? That's part of it. And the other part of it was, I think, like, even if I had followed my plan, I'm not sure it would have been enough salt. I think I, I need to bump that up a little bit more. And so I'll have that, um, you know, in the back of my mind as I make a nutrition plan for Maryland, because I, I did defer to Maryland next year. Mm-hmm. Are you hopeful for a lot of next year's races to, to happen? I have no idea. <laughs> and at this point, signed up. And if it happens, great. If it doesn't, you'll find something else. <laughs> Pretty much. Uh, but next year is actually going to be, I'm only signed up for two races so far. There's Maryland and then a, uh, for a swim run, which will be my first swim run. Oh, cool. And uh, Chris is going to be my partner at that since they are partner events. <laughs> Dang. That's cool. So when is that one? That's in late April. Interesting. Uh, out in Western North Carolina. Cool. Um, so what other, are there any other types of races that you like want to try? I mean, obviously the swim run is one, are there like other sorts of races that you want to get into like duathlons or aquathons or aqua bike? I don't know any sort of variation or is it kind of just, uh, I've done a couple of duathlons, um, after my first one, I found out just how easy it is to qualify for the long course duathlon world championship. Uh, There were, you know, the national championship, you just sign up and show up. There is no qualification. And there were like 120 people at the start line and somewhere around 80 were offered spots to go to worlds. Like really all you needed to do was finish the race and you got offered a spot to go to the world championship. I was like, all right, why not? Let's try this. Uh, so I went to Switzerland as part of Team USA for that. It was, it did not go as well as I had hoped, mostly because I got hit by a car three months in advance. Oh, no. Um, so I've done a few duathlons. I've done one ultra marathon. It took me two attempts. My first attempt, I ended up uh, getting pulled from the course because I was too far behind schedule. And the second time I finished it, not a lot of time to spare. I think I'm done with the ultra marathon thing, at yeah. least for the next couple of years, maybe another one. I've often toyed with the idea of doing a double iron, mm-hmm. but one of the things I, I really don't like about it is they're all extremely short courses with a lot of loops, like, yeah. like a three mile bike course you know, turnarounds on both ends is like, do I really want to be doing a hundred U-turns no. <laughs> over the course of you know 12 hours as or, or more as I grind through this bike course? And I was like, if someone could put together a double with, you know, a 15 mile bike course loop, then I would almost, then I'd be much more likely to do it. But as it stands, just so the logistics of those things is, they're all just like highly contained. Yeah. It's, I mean, it's almost certainly a permitting and a safety issue. Is, is humans of steel something you would do again? 
Uh, well, if Maryland happens next year, no, because I'll be up there about because assuming it's around the same time. Uh, if there's not a scheduling conflict, probably <laughs> I, I'll, I'll approach it with the same enthusiasm I approach this one, which is, <laughs> you know, I, I'm here. Why not? Yeah. <laughs> Fair enough. So one of the things I talked with Alex about was he was interested in doing like an Ultraman kind of thing. And so the wheels got turned in my head. He was less enthused also to do another humans of steel. He really wanted like, you know, normal racing to return. And he wanted to do like, as I, I don't think he called it this, but like the real deal, Iron Man kind of experience. Right. Um, so he was a little bit less enthused to do the humans of steel again also, but my wheels got turned in about doing another humans of steel, but then having like the Ultraman or double option. So I don't know. We'll see if racing occurs. Maybe we won't do it, but if it looks like next, if a lot of next year gets to be a wash, maybe we'll put a little something together or a big something. I guess it wouldn't really be a little something. (laughs) We'll, We'll see what happens. Yeah. So after those races that you've got planned for next year, what else do you have your sights set on any other like big athletic feats? No, right now it's just those two and, you know, hoping that they actually happen. I'm, I'm, I'm sure I'll fill in with a couple uh, smaller events, uh, whatever happens to actually take place. Like Setup Events is still working on their schedule for next year. So I haven't really been able to figure out what I'd want to do. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so seeing like some of the smaller races and what just – depending on what happens, you'll make your plan then. (laughs) Right. Um, um, Chris had talked about putting together a team for Clash of the Carolinas last year. Um, But I may be in Maryland that weekend. So who knows if we'll actually like try to do that for the next year. Yeah. Uh, So I kind of want to back up a little bit. How did you get into triathlon? Like what made you want to do triathlons in general? What made you want to do like these full iron distance races? boredom i had nothing better to do um i was rather obese started running quickly realized i'm a lousy runner maybe i can mitigate it a little bit by adding in biking which i think i could do better at and but uh, yeah mostly just boredom and being overweight boredoms i think i think that's the first time i've heard anyone get into triathlon because they were bored like most people pick up like some other hobby because they're bored but you picked up like three sports because you were bored <laughs> and it's been uh going on 20 years at this point i think like six, seventeen, maybe i don't know I, i've lost track of when i did my first one <laughs> when you first started triathlon did you know you wanted to do full iron distance or was that something that you kind of did shorter distance races for a couple of years or uh, I don't think it was a long period of time between my first sprint and when I started thinking about possibly doing an iron. Uh, I think it may have been like a year and a half after my first sprint before I made my first attempt at an iron, which um, I didn't finish that one. And then I went back to the same race the following year and, and did finish it. So it, it wasn't there initially, but it showed up pretty quickly after that. Yeah. Do you have, have your goals changed 
as you do more and more of these, you know, Ironman distance races, like does this shift become doing just different races, wanting to go to different cool places and just kind of keep the same level of training or is it there been a big focus on PRing or what's that look like for you? In a sense, the goal has always been about going faster, but it, it's actually a little bit more specific than that. Uh, like I mentioned before, I kind of fell apart on the run at Humans of Steel around mile four. That's the goal, is to be able to get through the entire race with a solid performance without falling apart like that. And like last year, I had my first marathon where I ran the whole thing, and I took an hour off my PR when I did it. Wow. Um, just because I, I, I have always fallen apart in these longer running events. So I was like, okay, I know I can do the swim. I know I can do the bike. I now know I can hold myself together for an entire marathon. I just need to string it all together. And it's part nutrition, mostly nutrition, but then, uh, you know, some physical aspects to it. But you know, I, I think I've got the mental part of it taken care of at this point. Yeah. So it sounds like for you kind of each new race is, is just like you said, trying to go a little bit faster, but also just string together, you know, like a race that you don't feel like you fell apart at some point. Right. That's cool. So overall take on humans of steel, good experience, bad experience, neutral, uh, I'd say it's mostly a good experience. Cool. Would you, is that something you would kind of recommend to other people? You know, if, if they've had like a lot of races canceled is to kind of piece together their own unofficial race or too much work. Uh, if you're talking about someone doing it completely on their own, no, I wouldn't recommend that at all. Uh, like having the level of support, you know, just enough so that, you know, there's a table there you can have somebody doing your nutrition you can you know it's like a very small group uh is definitely better than going totally solo on something like this yeah yeah fair enough well josh thanks thanks for being on here um i really appreciate all your time talking about the race and the route planning aspect because you know i've heard from other people them just you know people talking around and stuff about wanting to do something, make something of this year, you know, since all these races got canceled and stuff. And so I think that like, there's some really interesting information and and good tidbits about things that you have to consider when you're putting together a route. And I mean, I think it also helps people understand what goes into planning one of their official races that they go to. So I appreciate your time. Oh, thank you. And as always, people can check us out at theenduranceedge.com. Please subscribe to the podcast, leave us a rating or review, especially on Apple Podcasts. That helps us out a lot. And yeah, I think everything else will be in the episode description. Josh, any final, oh my gosh, I can't believe I almost forgot. What are your two to three key actionable things that someone could do to improve their health and performance, whether it's, you know, just your takeaway from humans of steel or your takeaways from all these different races you've done. I want to get your take. Um, Putting you in the hot seat. (laughs) Yeah. I could have used a warning on this one. Uh, 
I mean, it sounds like yeah. di dialing in the nutrition is a big one. Obviously. Yeah, well, nutrition in both in terms of race day and general nutrition are probably the biggest aspects of it. And that's that's always been where I struggled both, as I've mentioned a couple of times already today, you know, my salt intake and my calorie intake, but then just like my general nutrition, it's still terrible. I I have a lot of trouble getting out of the grocery store without some piece of cake or something else in my shopping cart. <laughs> So I'm going to ask a little bit, it's a little bit of a leading question, but I also want to get like your honest opinion. Um, how are you formulating like your, your race day plan? I mean, especially like your electrolyte needs, like are, do you, you did our sweat testing, right? I've done the sweat test with uh, the endurance edge three times now, I think over the years, I've, I've been with a client for five years. Uh, oh, Okay, so I've, I've been there almost since day one. Well, I, I've, you know, I predate the Endurance Edge because there was another training company before then. I don't know if we're allowed to mention the name of that one yeah. since it doesn't <laughs> exist anymore. Yeah. But yeah, I've been working with Chris for five years. Uh, how, how have those sweat results changed each time? Like, have there been drastic changes between each of those sweat results? Uh, no, it hasn't changed all that much, but... Um, I look at that more as kind of a baseline as to what I need to get in. I think I actually need to be taking in even more on race day, mm -hmm. um, like even more than what the sweat test says I need to just based on feel. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm sure some of it's just like the prolonged period that you're sweating for, like you're just losing so much. So right. that makes a lot of sense. Okay. So it sounds like big thing is dialing in race day nutrition and dialing in just throughout the day nutrition, just like making sure that you're eating well to recover and take care of yourself. Yeah. I like it. Um, I'm particularly biased towards those answers. So <laughs> I like them. <laughs> well, Josh, thanks so much for coming on. I really appreciate your time. Oh, thank you again.